You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. All right, Roger. So as I mentioned a moment ago, in 1984, a low-budget independent production completely took the box office by surprise, and the title was The Terminator. Oh, this film, Pascal. I I actually don't know where to start talking about this film. I mean, it's got time travel in it. And you know how much I like my time travel. We've talked about Back to the Future before. I love those grandfather paradoxes. And this is the grandfather of all grandfather paradoxes, isn't it? The the coming back in time to kill somebody in order to change the the future effectively. Um, But yeah, Looking back, it's it was a low-budget film, which actually looks incredibly high-budget. Even now, I, th- I think you watch this film and think this is absolutely spot-on with its special effects, despite its age. And f- incredibly fast-paced. You know, I, I think that once it gets going, there's pretty much there's maybe one scene where uh, Sarah Connor and, um, and the guy from the future sit down in a in a in a motel room and have a chat and uh, something else happens as well but that's about the that's about the only part of the film where there's any respite mm. from the relentless relentless onslaught of Arnold Schwarzenegger's android so yeah it, this this is this has got so many memories for me uh, and it's one of the best films I've ever seen I mean, to this day, you know, the um, we'll talk about the sequels as well and, and the role they may have played to actually make the first one shine e- even more. But um, it's just a fascinating story of content creators coming together and using true guerrilla-style filmmaking and ingenuity, to use that word again, whereby, again, not enough time, not enough money, not enough, you know, or the other, but still had a story they wanted to tell. So, so where do we begin? Well, goodness, I mean, I think what has worked is the fact that you had two people that really were driving the, the vision. You had mm. um, Gail and Heard, the producer, and James Cameron, the director yep. and writer. Now, both Gail and Heard and James Cameron had worked together for Roger Corman. Uh, for big film fans out there, Roger Corman would be known to you as, you know, this guy was a complete genius at creating movies, sometimes with little to no uh, resources. And they were working uh, with him. And I think they learned some very, very kind of thing, important uh, skills and, and ways in which you can get value on screen. I think, you know, as I mentioned just before we move on to film marketing, the music and soundtrack create an identity to the film that mm. is is like no other. So Brad Fidel, who, you know, I mean, as soon as you hear the pom 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 Bum, 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 bum. And you know that it's beginning, you know, with uh, that kind of almost cyberpunk, but before people knew the term cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you mm-hmm. remember, James and Gail Anna had uh, coined the term technoir, which was yeah. used as the, the name for the nightclub where 
Sarah Khan is is hoping to to escape, you know, and be rescued by by the police. But what was interesting is again the history behind the movie, where you know there was a bit back and forth with regard to the casting. So you may have watched the documentaries like all of us, but you may remember that Lance Herringson was actually um, the first choice for the Terminator. The first idea mm. was somebody that was not like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was meant to be the hero. He was meant to play Kyle Reese. Yeah. When Arnold Schwarzenegger received the script, he wanted to play the Terminator. His agent was actually nervous, saying, well, no, maybe if you're the hero, that'd be better, because if you're the bad guy, your career is just beginning with Conan Barbarian and so on, perhaps let's not go there. And interestingly, James Cameron didn't want uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger to play Kyle Reese at all. So they had this kind of strange meeting where none of them wanted the other to do the role. <laughs> and they were both in agreement. And, and to this day, they still laugh about this awkward lunch there where uh, James Cameron was looking for a way to tell um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't be Kyle Reese. And Arnold was trying to think of a way to say, I don't want to be Kyle Reese. You know, so very, very amusing. But the one <laughs> thing that um, James took away from his time at you know, with Roger Corman, and I think himself because he was such a, a creative guy, he spent an enormous amount of time storyboarding and sketching to capture the vision and to be able to communicate it well with the production team. And I wonder whether that's the number one lesson as well for all of us content marketers. Do we need to spend more time sketching and storyboarding than being on mobile phones and laptops? I think it's a good it's a good call that, isn't it? I, I, I've seen, I, I'm sure I saw once that uh, somebody was able to build a house within about an hour, an entire house. And in the, in the program they said, it isn't the fact that we did it in an hour. It's that everything was set out, planned, and choreographed beforehand, and they spent weeks doing that. So literally, it was just bang. It all went up together. And this is a great example of that. They spent the time painstakingly mapping it out. And that's probably why this film is just so relentless. Like I said before, pretty much as soon as the film starts, you, you almost find yourself holding your breath for the entire 90 minutes or however long the film is. It is so relentless. And I don't think they could have achieved that that pace without it really nailing every little detail in advance. And I think, therefore, the, the lesson we can take away is because of the storyboarding, which actually was kind of encouraged because Arnold Schwarzenegger had to delay taking part in the um, in the film. He was already booked to do something else. And the production team, James Cameron, you know, Gail Ann Hurd and the others, used that time to prep and prep and prep. And literally being on the day of the shoot, they could film exactly what they needed as opposed to turning up on location and then deciding what they're going to do. And I wonder again whether there's a lesson in that for us to be more efficient as content marketers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is a good, uh, this is a really sal a good lesson in, in, in how to do that. Do you know when you talk about the the, the pace? Uh, I mean, do you have? It's hard, you know, but do you have any favourite moments or any oh, favourite scenes in Terminator? Uh, th there's one. There's one scene where um, the the Terminator's in his in his room, and I think he's already been damaged, so maybe half of his face has disappeared. And and somebody knocks on the door. It might be a, a janitor or something. And, oh, yeah. and 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 you can see that all these potential responses come <laughs> up on the screen. And, and the bottom one is F off and 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 it almost it flashes and then uh schwarzenegger turns to the door and goes off and uh, oh yeah i just love that bit but i think 
it, funnily enough for me, it's when, when the android effectively becomes totally metal, so his skin's all gone, and it's now just the metal part. That was, for me, the most exciting and most terrifying. So that was the bit that Arnold obviously wasn't in. That, yeah. was, that was really what got me. When uh, the music composer Brad Fidel was asked to work on the project, now you must remember all of us that back then, James Cameron was nobody. Yeah, uh, I think you'd be the first one to say that, you know, to save money. Uh, I think he and a few others slept in cars and on set, you know, <laughs> and sometime um, didn't have always permission to film, but just went on that proper guerrilla style, uh, which is um, always quite exciting. And the so Bradfield it confesses that it, it met quite a few up and coming, you know, filmmakers always full of obviously passion for their project. But when he said, when I watch it, it's pretty mediocre, and then I'm going to come <laughs> up with you know the music. He says so he watched there, and he say embarrassingly James stayed. You know, so I was like, oh, crap, I've got to watch the film with the, the the filmmaker. What if I don't like it that much? I'm going to have to pretend. And he was saying that by the end of the, the movie, you know, when the uh, the, the androids gets up again mm. and it's almost like it's relentless and Brad Fidel says you know he caught himself saying I can't believe it will it ever die you know and <laughs> it was completely caught up in a story and then he realized oh no now he's going to think you know that uh, I like the movie too much and that kind of thing so there was, there was some, some fascinating things but for me the, the one message that, that I took away from a marketing point of view is once again the disconnect between the creators and the distributors so mm. I think through the effort of Gail and Heard again they got the distribution of support from Orion Pictures and but they the the you know, so the suits at Orion Pictures didn't know what they had and they were confused by the film. Was it action? Is it sci-fi? Uh, and this and the other. So what they did was to promote it to only a young male audience thinking to, mm. to them, really, here, if you want to be more sci-fi, you know, uh, this is one for you. It, they only had one screening for the critics and were looking to, to release it to only a small number of cinemas, which is crazy. And then the agents for both um, Michael Bean, who plays Kyle Reese, and Arnold Schwarzenegger realized that this was a, a vastly superior as a film and they organized their own screenings without telling yeah. you know the distributors the critics loved it and more importantly talking about getting the audience demographics wrong so did a female audience and couples yeah. because ultimately this is a love story yeah. between sarah connor and kyle reese absolutely right and 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 again it you know, we keep coming back to this on the show, Pascal. We've, you've got to know your audience, and they probably missed a trick because they didn't do enough test screenings. They didn't talk. If they'd have realised that this film was going to appeal to females and to couples, it could have been an even bigger initial box office success. So I think they, 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 you, need, you need to test your audience. You always need to test your audience. And how many times do we hear do we hear that story? And, and what was crazy is because Orion, Orion Pictures thought they had it right, they blew all their budget in targeting solely that young male audience. Yeah. And when they realized their mistake, they had no budget for marketing left. That's and incredible. thank God for word of mouth. Thank God for <laughs> the critics who wrote articles galore uh, and the interviews and so on. But um, you're right, you know, they could have been an even greater success had it done just that. And, and, I, and I think for me, it's back to this idea of, you know, spending just enough time on the audience and not reflecting on them is so, so important. 
And here's a really geeky thing. Here's a really <laughs> geeky thing. Um, I know that you're not a massive Doctor Who fan. Um, I'm not. But Doctor Who is one of my uh, favourite all-time TV shows. And there was a story, a Doctor Who story, first broadcast in 1972. So... Uh, a decade before Terminator came out, and it was John Pertwee was pre- was played the Doctor, and the story was called Day of the Daleks, and the story started in the present day, so in in 1972, and these people came back from the future in order to kill somebody in the present to prevent the future taking place and the in the future the daleks had invaded the earth and they they came back in time to kill this politician that they felt was responsible for the way the future turned out and the daleks of course look like machines and i've always wondered whether cameron saw that story day of the daleks and effectively ripped off the storyline because it is absolutely exactly the same idea. People from the future coming back in time to kill somebody in order to change the future that they live in. And it's actually worth it. If you've never seen that Doctor Who yeah, story, yeah. Buy, buy it on DVD. It's actually a really good story and it's one that they've actually updated with visual effects and uh, and special effects from the present day to make it look less uh, 70s. Uh, I've always wondered whether uh, James Cameron had secretly been a Doctor Who fan and had seen that story <laughs> and, and, and used it. <laughs> well, I, do you know, I, I, someone like him it must be so well read and so well, whatever the expression is, you know, to watch you know, it, 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 because, you know, he, he just loves the, 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 the medium. You're absolutely right. But it's fascinating, you know, this idea of time travel and the, and this idea of make it changing past and future has been around, it would seem, forever. I'm thinking right now, as I'm talking to you, not Looper with uh, Bruce yeah. Willis was actually yep. very, very interesting. I've got one to watch, which I've not seen yet, called Predestination with uh, Ethan Hawke, I think. Um, simple ones like Time Cop, you know, with Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, there's, there's always there where we, we seem uh, as, as a society, you know, as a culture, we're, always, we're intrigued by this idea of the butterfly effect. Yeah, and there was a great, we're, we're going to go off on a time That's, travel tangent right. here, but back again, back in the eight, I think it was back in the 80s, there was a BBC one-off play, which was called The Flip Side of Dominic Hyde. And again, that was a, a real mind-blowingly complicated time travel conundrum. Oh, I'm, I'm going to have to go and see if I can find that now. <laughs> so, do you know, you're talking about knowing your audience. I think as storytellers, we also need to understand the craft of storytelling mm. and know your hero. So we, uh, in screenwriting and filmmaking kind of terms, a hero is the character who changes the most throughout the, the, the duration of the film. In this case, of course, is Sarah Connor who changes the most and is the one that almost, you know, uh, saves calories to begin with and tries to anyway. And that, that to me was very, very important. And of course, she came back in T2, Terminator 2, which was yeah. this incredible, oh, wow. I, mean, I remember going to the movies in 1991 when it came out and left thinking, what have I just seen? Because you were right, you know, <laughs> T2 was just as relentless as the very first one. Absolutely. I mean, if not more, um, and and of course they had the bigger budget to spend, mm, and, and of course the set set pieces were even more impressive. So um, in the first one, you know, you had the love story between uh, Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese, 
in the second one is obviously between Sarah Connor and John Connor, you know. Mm. And then God knows what they were thinking with Terminator 3, but I was, I mean, I wanted to love it because I love the franchise, but but I couldn't, Roger. It just didn't work for me at all. Have they not sort of retconned that out of existence now? Because the, <laughs> the, la, the last Terminator film that came out last year was effectively set after Terminator 2, wasn't it, yeah, I think? Yeah, Dark Fate, and, yeah. and that, that was so much better. Uh, yeah. So, so much better. Um, I'm actually okay with um, Terminator Salvation, you know, with um, Kristen, Kristen Bell. Mm. I think that's all right. And... I was okay with the TV series, but you're right. Yeah, that that and what was it? Was it Genesis? I thought that was just diabolical. Uh, yeah. When you think again, so my point to you is that those kind of clumsy effort makes the first one look even better when they have a fraction of the time and a fraction of the budget. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's something you see in in Cameron's films, isn't it? Is the is the actual story is not quite what you expect it. Like this is a love story. You know, even Titanic was a love story wasn't it really it, mm. it was just that the, they were on the titanic at the time and i think it's a you know again look at the film and and look at the story that's being told and especially with cameron it, it's often just a little bit off off what you think it might actually be now for that point is is, is a very very you know good storyteller and is in line with the likes of Ridley scott and, and many others and the film has been so successful that it, it's done well back in, the, in 1985 with VHS. Then he had his DVD special edition, which I've got, then the Blu-ray, then the 4Ks and so on. And, I, I, you know, they, they must feel so proud as filmmakers that, you know, here we are, you know, all those years later still talking about it as, as a reference, as something that you can learn from. And, of course, we mentioned the Nintendo NES and the Sega Mega Drive before and the Terminator Mega Drive game was fabulous absolutely fabulous it was a platform shooter but I I can remember spending hours playing that game so I'm going to leave you with um, I suppose a quote from James Cameron Okay. So it was asked, obviously, about, you know, was he surprised? And, of course, he was surprised. But he said, but in, in really, it was kind of a hit because we, were, we released it smartly between the summer blockbusters and the Christmas blockbusters. And his quote is as, as follows, because, you see, it is better to be a big fish in a small pond than the other way around. Yeah. And that Wise would be words. the last, you know, film marketing tip, which is know your timing as well. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, Roger, thank you so much. So to our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for your support. This has been episode 15 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Please leave comments, reviews, and subscribe to all the usual places. He was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintoni. Until next time, go out there, make sure your marketing is done right. We'll be back. <laughs>